but you kind of sleep better at night knowing that you have helped people. And I think that's a reward uh, in and of itself. The, the money, if we're content and we're focused and we're passionate about what we're doing, we might not die millionaires, but we will keep that aspect of the business going because we know that what we're doing ultimately is helping make people's lives healthier or better or, or, or more comfortable. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I really don't like to admit this. Admit that there's a part of myself that hides behind the socially acceptable excuse of, air quotes here, have to. The have to business decision that keeps me safely away from the risks of failure, from the possible negative opinion of my family and friends, and gives me a comfortable distance from what lives as inspiration but I don't yet know how to turn it into reality. It's hard to admit that I'd rather succeed at something that I don't care about or is socially acceptable than fail at something that truly has meaning and comes from my core. Curious how often I've preferred the success of something that was not so important to me than risk the failure of going after my heart's desire. I think about all the business decisions I've made because it was, air quotes here again, good business income, when in truth, I was afraid to double down on something that actually held more meaning. It's easy to hide in plain sight behind being busy. Taking the risk of standing up and standing out is deeply uncomfortable. It draws attention, people will talk, loved ones will worry about us. And fighting those winds of resistance means we have to conquer the worst opinions we have about ourselves. Sure, people like to gossip about other people, and they say mean things too, but usually... It's us that has the worst opinion about ourselves. I don't trust that the what that I want to see brought into this world will power me through figuring out the hows of how it actually gets done. Rarely are we able to begin to accomplish things worth doing at the beginning of the journey. And if we can, I suspect we should be setting our sights higher. Doing what we don't yet know how to do feels risky, as there's a lot of getting it wrong on the way to getting it right. And for me... Recognizing the habit of hiding behind the have-tos in life is a way I let myself off the hook of stepping into the fires of creativity that are sure to challenge the reluctant parts of myself that would prefer the imagined safety of the status quo to the unknown challenges of saying yes to what's actually important. I've got a couple of soapbox announcements and then some housekeeping things here. First, I was hanging with a Chinese medicine friend who lives abroad has for a long while now, too. And she, like many of us, has concerns about licensure and scope of practice issues here in the United States, especially as other professions would like to get their paws on some acupuncture needles and do their version of what we would call acupuncture in the emerging integrative medicine world that we seem to be headed toward. One of the ways to make sure that it is acupuncturists who get hired into those positions for doing acupuncture is by showing that we have a united front. And supporting your state organization is a part of that. If you think to yourself that supporting your state organization is too expensive, you might want to reconsider that thought. There are other professions out there that would be happy to roll over your scope of practice if they can, and a strong state organization helps prevent that. And if you don't like what your state organization is up to, or you'd like to see you move in a different direction, then not only sign up, but go run for a board position while you're at it. Today, we are digging into something near and dear to my heart, 
as my grandfather would say, business. You know, the creativity of what it takes to be an acupuncturist is not at all different from the creativity it takes to run a business. Both are a matter of paying attention, making careful assessments, and then choosing a course of action that we can track the results of. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation on the entrepreneurial mindset, and I hope you will as well. Let's dig into it. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. 
you can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up in available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. I am happy to sit down with John McGarvey today. John runs a business that has to do with our profession. He's a supplier of herbs and herbal concoctions. We all love that stuff. But the main reason that John and I are sitting down today is because we are here to talk about business. We're here to talk about being an entrepreneur. We're here to talk about being successful in your practice. And John is a guy who enjoys business. And I am a guy who used to think that I didn't enjoy business, but I actually love it. So I love sitting down with folks like this because, you know, maybe this kind of conversation, especially if you don't like business or you think it's a bad thing, might be helpful for you in your practice. John, welcome to Geological. Well, good morning, Michael. Thank you so much uh, for allowing me to speak with you and uh, your listeners this morning. This is awesome. Yeah, it's, you know, it's fun. And uh, yeah, I just, I just love talking business these days. So I'm curious, I'm always curious, or I wouldn't have a dang podcast. Lots of people that come into our profession as acupuncturists, they've got no background in business. And I'm always wondering if you come from a family or you have a background that you grew up, you know, business was part of your life or did your folks have jobs? What sort of took you down the road of having a business, of, 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 of acquiring an entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah. My father was a fairly conventional business person. He was a, a banker and my mom uh, had one of the most important jobs in the world. She was a, a mom. Um, so, and, and I say that because we're, uh, we're bleeding into Mother's Day here. So I grew up with the sort of uh, the, the mindset in an environment where business was just kind of part of, of the, the DNA of the household because my dad, uh, he wasn't an entrepreneur, entrepreneur necessarily, but he worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. And when I, um, when I graduated from college, which was quite a while ago, uh, I went into the, the same line of work. I was, uh, I was a banker myself. And that was a, a great experience as far as learning um, the, the guts and the foundation of, of how businesses should uh, kind of capitalize themselves and make sure you've got, you've got gas in the tank, uh, which is a euphemism for money um, at the end of the day. But ultimately, where the entrepreneurial edge came, Michael, was when I just kind of realized I'd rather be on the side of running the business than on the side of uh, telling people about their businesses or uh, what they should be doing or whatnot, because it is fun. You know, it is fun to ultimately be involved with a brand or something that you've created. And, and while the stress can be much higher in that capacity, um, ultimately, both as a business person and an entrepreneur, you're the man or you're the woman. And you're the person that ultimately has the vision and the passion and the drive to kind of see things happen. And so the, the pivot that I took when I, when I jumped from being on, on the banking end of, of the world to actually running something, that was the pivotal moment. And um, I've, I've been doing it for about, I hate to say, 15, 15 plus years now. And while it's very, very stressful, right? And there are moments where you kind of are uh, pulling your hair out, you ultimately have the satisfaction of, of seeing the fruits of your labor and, and being able to uh, appreciate the highs in a much different way and in a much more genuine, authentic way than you, you would if you were just on a, on a transactional capacity of business. Yeah. So 
I spent a little time in the corporate world some years ago before I got into acupuncture. And one of the things that I discovered was my successes weren't always all my successes. Um, in some ways, my failures weren't all my failures because, you know, you're working with a group or this or that. But the thing that was most frustrating to me is that my successes were not actually that both my successes and my failures were not both completely mine. Yeah. That I could kind of let myself off the hook. Oh, it's not my fault. That vendor didn't come through. Oh, that that team member, blah, blah, blah. Or someone got fired. And, you know, and then when you talk about stress, right, there's always that idea of, well, you know, oh, I hear there's a round of layoffs. I mean, talk about stress. You know, if you're not sure that that your paycheck is going to be there next week, that can be really hard. Whereas as a business person, I found I am absolutely responsible 100% for my paycheck. But guess what? I'm in the driver's seat. I've got my hand on the wheel. And that gives a whole different sense of empowerment, really, once you figure out how to drive that dang bus. I couldn't agree more. And, and there's so many things that we can unravel with what you just said. When you're sort of in a bigger business or you're part of a team or you're responsible to a level above you and they're responsible to a level above them, there are so many things that are entirely out of your control. And in some cases, that gives you a, a degree of comfort. Um, but ultimately, as you mentioned, when sort of a, a round of layoffs come or there's a major change or shift in the business, you're just kind of along. I don't want to say along for the ride, but you don't have the ability to necessarily impact the way you can when you have your own practice or you have your own brand or you have your own podcast and marketing company. I mean, this is, as we were talking about prior to pressing record this morning, um, it's 9.15 on a Saturday morning and you and I have both done things that will ultimately hopefully drive our business forward much the way we are at this moment in time. I, I mean, I mentioned to you that I, I sent the wife and the kids away so I could be on the show this morning, but ultimately it's those types of experiences and those moments where it doesn't necessarily always shut off. But if you're passionate about it, like I was really excited, you know, to, to be here this morning. And so I, I was up early and I was taking some notes and whatnot. And perhaps if you're in the corporate world and are in a different capacity, you know, you get the proverbial, I'm just collecting a check because I'm part of, a, you know, the cog in the machine or whatnot. Whereas while the stress of the entrepreneurial journey is much more acute and can be heightened, so is the satisfaction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there's a thing that I, I often say to myself, you know, and to people, you know, that, that are just starting out. I like to say business is not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. You know, this is not an onerous thing. That's like, oh, I got to tick this thing off rats. It's more like there's an aspect of life that I get to inhabit. I get to inhabit it fully. And guess what? I get to put my mark on it. I get to do business the way that I want to. And, and you don't get that if you got a job. You're following a procedure manual. And you know what? All that stuff about other businesses that we've got opinions about, we don't like them. Guess what? We get to make something else. Uh, I would say very much so. If we take a quick step, step back, pardon me for a second, there's um, a, a famous uh, speaker, author, TED Talk type guy named Simon Simic, who I think a lot of your listeners have probably listened to. And he's got a, a famous speech that he delivered several years ago on the why of what we do and, and why are we doing this? And uh, any entrepreneur, uh, any successful business person that has built something would tell you, you can't do it for the money. Uh, that can't be the reason that we get involved with it. Right. And, and, and you know why that's true? Because 80% entrepreneurs fail. 
If you're doing it for the money, that's a stupid reason to do something for the money. Absolutely. And the reason that we do what we do on, with my business, and I think a lot of the acupuncturists that are listening, it's not for the dollars and cents. Otherwise, we would have gone into you know the, the Western medical world or we would have stayed in the investment banking track or whatever. It's the why. It's the, well, we get to help people. Exactly. And that's the driving force. And that sometimes, you know, from a validation standpoint, when you're not getting a huge paycheck can be frustrating, but you kind of sleep better at night knowing that you have helped people. And I think that's a reward uh, in and of itself. The, the money, if we're content and we're focused and we're passionate about what we're doing, we might not die millionaires, but we will keep that aspect of the business going because we know that what we're doing ultimately is helping make people's lives healthier or better or, or, or more comfortable. Well, and, and as you were saying earlier about banking, it's, you know, keeping gas in the tank. We learn something about how to keep gas in the tank. And when we start out, most of us don't know much about that because we haven't had much experience with it. And, and one of the reasons why it's so hard in the beginning is because we haven't done it before. It doesn't mean that we're not capable of learning. It doesn't mean that we're not capable of learning to do it and, and do it very well because, Anyone who's got that why dialed in, well, you want to make it sustainable. It's not enough just to like, oh, you know, I, I'm paying my groceries. I mean, of course we need that. But if we want to do, do what we do and we want to do it long term and we really want to make a difference in the world, then a piece of what we do has to be focused on how do I make sure that I can do this not just next week, but next decade. Totally. And think about how intimidating that day one is. We experience that with our business. And I think any acupuncturist who is starting out and hanging their personal shingle, um, it's one thing to get the tools and to get the training, but it's very overwhelming. Uh, once you have taken out a lease or reserved space uh, or, um, you know, have a couple thousand dollars on the credit card because you're buying the table and the logo uh, and all the tools. And so where do we begin? And, and none of that necessarily changes due to uh, how good of an acupuncturist or, or, or uh, clinician that you are. The why will only get you so far. You, you want to be able to pay more than just the groceries, but where do you begin? And we spend a lot of time talking about the focus and the tactics and the goals and all of those measures, because yeah, you do ultimately need to make sure you can, you know, Pay, pay the rent, pay for your supplies, and maybe have a, a little bit left over to have a party here or there as well. Absolutely. You want to celebrate the journey as you go. It seems to me that so much of not just running a business, I mean, having a marriage, raising kids, doing whatever you do in the world, so much of it is about mindset. And so much of it is about coming up against barriers and limitations that it's actually us ourselves that have put there. We may not realize it. We may not realize that we've got a certain attitude toward business or marketing or selling, but we do, we got it from somewhere. And sometimes it's, it's very helpful for us, but sometimes it really gets in the way. I'd like to know what you do when you find yourself coming up against something and it's in the way, and it comes from the inside. It's something that on the inside, you've got this idea, you got this, this perspective, and maybe it helped you at one point. Maybe it's actually never helped you at all, but you acquired it through, I don't know, your family or the news or your friend or whatever. 
What do you do when you run into a barrier and, and you realize I got to get over this? There are several different things that I have to do. First and foremost is being very cognizant and self-aware that you are confronted with a barrier. Um, I think self-awareness and practicing a form of mindfulness um, are, are two sides of the, the same coin. Understanding that this journey is stressful as an entrepreneur, as a business person, uh, that you will come up against any number of limitations, challenges, barriers. They can be constraints in the form of not enough money. Uh, in the case of uh, a sole proprietor with their, their practice, not enough patience, all of those types of things. So to address your question specifically, it's just, and this comes a little bit, Michael, and I think you might appreciate this too. It, it does come with age and experience. Um, but recognizing that whatever challenge that you have, you will get through. It might not be the outcome necessarily that you want to uh, have, but it will it will pass. And with each sort of experience and each passing challenge, you get better and better as far as how you approach it, in which case you're, you're able to solve those challenges, perhaps from a, a different perspective and with a clearer head. So some of the things that I will specifically do, number one is I do try to keep a pretty stringent morning routine um, that doesn't involve hopping out of bed and checking email, uh, although there are those mornings. But first and foremost, I try to do a, a, for me, a mindfulness exercise that's very personal and that I'll, I'll share with you guys here in a second. Um, I've got an older brother who lives in China and, and he spends the first um, 20 to 30 minutes of his day doing a meditative practice. My meditation practice, uh, just because of my DNA and I'm type A and I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of moving and shaking as I, I at least for 2019, I'm, uh, and this is kind of silly, but it, it, it's great. I, I, um, I get up usually between five and five 30 and I speed walk about three to four miles a day. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, I can't run anymore, uh, cause my knees are, are not in the best shape. You might want to see an acupuncturist about that. <laughs> so the knees are just not what they once were, but what it does, it gets me up and gets me in motion. And usually I'll do on my clock, on my phone, I'll do sort of 10 minute chunks where I'll do some breathing exercises. I'll try to listen. And usually despite how kind of challenging it is, I, I live in Minnesota and in the winter, it can be really, really, really cold, but I still kind of grind through it. What happens is ultimately between the 30 to, to 45 minute mark, I mean, you're moving and that's not just um, obviously literally, but it's your mind is going as well. And that is a priming exercise that allows me to stay focused. And that also allows me to begin prioritizing what are the true needs of the day, you know, uh, and I can babble on and on about this, but there's like the 2080 challenge. What are the 20% of the things that I need to do for John McGarvey and for my company to yield 80% of the results? Um, because it's very easy. It is very, very easy when you are running your own shop to get stuck in the minutia. Oh my God. It's so true. There's always something that we could be working on. Isn't that correct? I mean, there's always one more piece of the puzzle or the website or sort of, uh, you know, a, a blog piece or whatnot that you could be working on. But ultimately, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much gas that you've got in your proverbial tank uh, to get these things done. So it just is an exercise to help me uh, ultimately drive focus, which is, I think, one of the most important things that any business person has to have is, is a degree of focus. Um, and so getting up and getting moving is a way to really make sure that I'm focused on what the needs of uh, of my colleagues, of my business, uh, of, our, of our customers. And from there, Michael, there's all sorts of other things that I do uh, that I would recommend to any entrepreneur. Number one, make sure you have a network around you of support. Uh, that can be other entrepreneurs. 
That can be other acupuncturists. That could be friends in a totally unrelated industry, but are just good at business. That's a sounding board. Make sure you have that network and be planful with it. And that's something that I have a challenge with because there's always so many things to do and it gets pushed to the back. But what I try to do when I'm planning my schedule, uh, which I do uh, for about 45 minutes every Sunday, is try to get stuff scheduled that gets me out of just the grind of the routine with people that will give me energy, that will give me the perspective that I need, that sometimes will just be a break that ultimately kind of recharge and rekindles the batteries so I can jump back into it and, and have some advocates here or there. And so between the mindfulness exercises and trying to stay focused and uh, ultimately having a support network, there's a lot of little things that I'll do as well throughout the day, but those are sort of the big pieces to really make sure that I'm taking care of, um, you know, taking care of myself, which ultimately allows me, I think, to be more effective as a, as a business person. Yeah. You know, that morning routine thing, I think it's so important. And, you know, I do a podcast. And so because I do a podcast, like writers, you know, anyone who's a writer, they do a lot of reading because the best way to become a good writer is to also read lots of different stuff and read other writers. I listen to podcasts, number one, because I'm interested, but also number two, because I, I learn really helpful things that help me as a podcaster. One of the things that I've heard again and again and again from people that are sort of air quotes here, top performers, I mean, people that really, you know, they do good stuff. They get a lot done. They've got a morning routine that generally speaking does not involve jumping on your phone or computer. It has to do with focusing yourself. It has to do with some kind of physical activity, giving yourself some space, kind of priming yourself with some something that nourishes you at a very deep level. And then you've got so much to give to the day. And most importantly, especially in our super hyper-distracted world, you got your focus. The morning routines seem to be super important. There's something else that you just said that I think isn't talked about often enough. And, and again, you bring it up and I go, that's right. I hadn't thought about it, but this is very true for me. And that is having a network of support. Yeah. That and you know, and it could be ideally it's not just the people that are doing what you're doing. Ideally, it's people that have different perspectives, that have different points of view, because we already know what we know. Sometimes that's very helpful for us. Sometimes that is a big limiter for us. And if we can gain the perspective of other people that are also involved in the challenge of creating and building something, we can learn a whole lot. And, and just one other thing I want to mention about that. So often it's easy to connect with people that are having the same problems, but all we do is spend a lot of time commiserating about how difficult it is. That is patently not helpful. Complaining really, I used to think complaining would help. It never does. <laughs> uh, you sometimes feel better. And I, I do want to mention in the moment of, of heightened stress, from your business or life fringing on the business that's heightening stress and whatnot. It is helpful sometimes to get that proverbial, like just dump and get it out in the open, but the grinding down of spending 45 minutes just talking about challenges, that's not going to really get you anywhere. Particularly if, if your intention is to kind of work through those, you might feel a little bit better. Um, you know, misery sometimes loves company, but if ultimately you're trying to work yourself over a hump 
or out of a hole or just trying to grind something through, you got to be as constructive and focused as possible. And that's a theme that I think we've, we've now touched on probably about three times, but having compatriots, friends, advocates, whatnot, that can just be, uh, you know, those appropriate advocates that say, all right, let's help think this, this through as opposed to, oh yeah, I've been there too. That makes all the difference. Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. It's super helpful. You know, there's something else that you mentioned, and I find this, I do this all the time. Or I, yeah, I do it all the time. In fact, I kind of naturally do it, because I'm, I'm a, actually, even though I've got a podcast that comes out once a week, I'm a little bit lazy. I'm actually a little bit lazy, even though we're here on a Saturday morning having a podcast, I'm a little bit lazy. And so that 80-20 rule, I love the 80-20 rule, right? I love the idea that I can do 80% of something that's generally good enough. Here's the other thing that I love. You flip it around the other way and you look at what's the 20% that I can do that's going to get me 80% of what I'm looking for, Right. 20% of what we do can give us 80% of what we're looking for. And that last 20%, you don't need that. Well, absolutely. And then there's also exercises you can go through, which is to, uh, to support that 80% that kind of needs to be done, but you just don't have the capacity to do, or you just can't prioritize if you're working on that other 20%. So you can get systems in place, you can get support networks or whatnot, and you can get some KPIs, as we like to say, key performance indicators that kind of make sure that that other 80% is kind of happening in the background, but ultimately allowing you to focus on that 20% that is going to yield the, the, the top 80%. If we go, uh, did you have something? Oh, I was just, I just heard you say key performance indicator. Yeah. And, and I go, well, that sounds like a, a, a something that a business person would say <laughs> that, you know, as an acupuncturist, that probably has nothing to do with me. And then I go, wait a minute. It totally does. I bet it does, but, but I don't know what it is. So what would be some key performance indicators for acupuncturists? Absolutely. Um, one that we can go to right away is number of patients. Well, that's the big thing that we all like to brag about or complain about. Yes. And it's the one thing that ultimately is going to pay the bills, right? I was with a couple of acupuncturists in, in Denver, Colorado last week, one of whom uh, was turning patients away. And on the other end of the spectrum, she was just starting out and um, she was like, how do we get bodies in the door? So as far as a KPI is concerned, uh, with the latter example, we spent a fair amount of time talking about, all right, how many patients do we actually need to fill your schedule? Um, not just in terms of, uh, uh, you know, on a Monday through Friday basis, but more uh, uh, 
grand, uh, pardon me, let me back up if I could just for a second. It's not just the number of patients that you want to see on a daily basis, but how many patients do you need to have actively seeing you on a monthly basis to make sure your daily schedule is always full? And that's a qualitative uh, type of an exercise that we, in this particular case, we sat down and we figured it out. Mm-hmm. If she's seeing a patient regularly once every other week, and I'm going to be vo- very simplistic right now, if she's got to have, uh, if she's got 20 slots on a weekly basis and those people come and see her every other week, then she's got to have at least 40 patients to keep the Monday through Friday schedule active. And that's just, that has nothing to do with acupuncture. That has nothing to do with the class of trade. It is just all about, all right, how do we make sure that our schedule is full? And so that would be a KPI, just sitting down and saying, how many slots do I have on a daily basis? What's my churn look like? And so how do I actively make sure that I've always got in this particular example, you know, 40 active patients on an ongoing basis. And then you can take it a step farther to say, all right, of those 40, and I'm getting in the the minutia here a little bit, but it's just a math exercise. It's just sitting it down with a piece of paper and kind of working it out. Of that 40, if 10% of them are going to constantly churn, which is to say you're never going to see them again, then you've got to constantly be backfilling those four patients, right? right. What's the churn rate? Totally. Got to know what that is. And I think that's an exercise that perhaps um, it's really simple to do. Um, and sometimes with marketing, the most simple exercises can be both the most effective, but the hardest to do because you think, well, wait a second, I need to have this big equation or this big whiteboard type. And it's like not really true. We we were able to sketch that out on a, on a piece of paper. And so going back to your original question of the KPI, it just helps her or any acupuncturist for that matter, having this like true north that they could spend 10 minutes on a daily basis, be it the first 10 of the day or when they're seeing a patient or, or, or uh, with a regular cadence to say, you know, am I sort of looking at the number of patients I have? Am I, you know, optimizing or am I working towards this level? Um, and if it falls below that, well, then I need to get out there and make sure I've got more people coming in. Or if I'm, uh, you know, uh, uh, above that target, well, then maybe what I need to do is change my hours and add a few more or take Saturday appointments, uh, things of that nature. And so babbling here a little bit, but that's a really important metric in, in the broader industry. Well, you know, it, it is an important metric. And here's the other thing, because I've done this exercise myself. Like you say, it's a very easy thing to do. You can sit down with a piece of paper or an Excel spreadsheet. You can figure those numbers out. Sometimes there's a part of me that is resistant to knowing what that number is. Yeah. Because if I see what that number is and there is a big distance between where I am and what I need, right? You can get kind of disheartened or you look at it and go, God, how am I ever going to get there? Totally. Right. Especially when starting out. Here's, here's the flip side of it though. When you know what it is that you need, it's a whole lot easier to know what do I need to do to get to there? I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just a little bit of reality. Here's what I need to make this work. And when you have that number and then you can start measuring, mm-hmm. how am I doing on the path of getting there? Because usually we're looking at things, we're going, I'm successful or not successful. That means nothing. Successful or not successful in what, right? I'm making money or I'm not making money. If we've got a clear goal, I mean, we do this with our patients. What's the clear goal? Clear goal is your knees are going to be so good you can go out and run again. Yep. All right. That's the goal. Yeah. Where are we now? You can't run yet. Okay. You know, we make our treatment plans. We prescribe herbs, we do, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's the same thing here too, that we, when you know what it is that you want, it somehow is easier to get there. Can I piggyback off that? Yeah, jump on. 
Because that is the foundation of writing a marketing plan or a little business plan for your practice. It all starts with that goal. And it's being very, very razor focused on what that goal is. And from there, there's exercises that I'll walk through with acupuncturists where we say, all right, well, what are the tactics against which we're going to achieve that goal? Mm-hmm. But before that, in an acronym that I want to point out or recommend that every one of the listeners that has gotten this far thinks about when they're setting their goal is making sure that it's quote unquote smart. That's an acronym for specific, measurable, actionable, relevant, and time bound. Let's talk about each one of those just for a quick second. Make it specific. I want to have a practice that has 100 active patients on a monthly basis. Okay. That's pretty specific. We just made that one measurable as well. We said 100 patients. It's action-oriented, and there's one thing that I didn't say, which I'll come back to here in a second. It's action-oriented. It's relevant. I want 100 patients in my active acupuncture Rolodex on a monthly basis. And it's time-bound to an extent. We're talking about on a monthly basis that we want to have 100, but the thing that we need to do, particularly when we're starting out, is make it somewhat time-bound. Within the first six months I want to achieve a rate of having 100 patients on a monthly basis. So back to your point, it can be overwhelming. It can be daunting. But to make sure that you give yourself a goal that is realistic, which is also sometimes used for the R, I use it as relevant, but also realistic. Can you get 100 people in six months? And I would contend to any acupuncturist listening that you absolutely can get 100 patients within six months. It's not going to just fall in your lap and it's not just going to be a bunch of Facebook ads entirely. But I would say if you give yourself something that's six months, uh, maybe slightly longer, you can do it. That's super encouraging. I love it. It's super encouraging. Guaranteed. What, what are some of the ways that you would recommend to acupuncturists to fill up those 100 slots? I mean, you mentioned Facebook ads, and I have to tell you, uh, there was a point when I first moved to St. Louis, which was 10 years ago now, that I remember doing some Facebook ads and I can tell you exactly how many patients I've gotten from Facebook. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Wait I, for it. I never, ever, ever got a patient from Facebook. And now that's not to say that you shouldn't try it if it works for you. Cause I have also met people. I don't know how they do it, but they bring in patients from Facebook. So in some ways, I think the trick is to find where are you comfortable and where are you effective mm-hmm. in getting a hold of those new patients, right? Some people might go to a yoga class and come home with a patient or two, right? Other people want to avoid doing some marketing. So they go to yoga class and they have a nice yoga session and, uh, you know, they don't see any more patients. So, you know, it has to do with kind of you know, who you are and where you put yourself out and and where you tend to be effective. Have you got some thoughts on ways of, of getting, you know, I hate saying get the word out there because like getting the word out there never seems to help. It seems like we need to do something else that really connects with people to turn them from a prospect into a patient. Absolutely. I want to say a couple of different things before I go into the specific tactics. Um, number one, 
I said 100 patients in six months. And we have to be somewhat realistic in terms of if we live in a community that's got 30 people, then having 100 patients might be a challenge. But if you're in a large metropolitan area, a community that uh, has an active wellness sort of consumer base and whatnot, then let's always make sure that we're being very realistic to the, the reality of our environment. That aside, none of these types of things happen. And I think we've kind of talked around this a little bit is entrepreneurialism and business can be hard. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's impossible, but it does take, you know, continuing with my morning routine, it does take active action. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is make it as focused as possible. And I'll talk about that here in, in just a few minutes, but it's not going to just happen by doing Facebook ads or just hoping it, you know, you, you will it that in six months, uh, you know, it'll just kind of miraculously happen. It is going to take action to get out there and make sure that people do know that you're uh, available to see them or that you're new in town uh, or that, um, you know, uh, th that you've got opening uh, openings in your appointments. So I want to say all of those different things before I get into some of the specific tactics. Okay. And then there's one final piece that I want to make sure we touch on. And we have Michael throughout the kind of conversation this morning, um, but it's one, it's being very, very focused. And number two, it's making some critical decisions. And this starts with sort of marketing 101. Marketing isn't about just what you're going to do, but it's a decision-making process that involves what are you not going to do? Oh, man. Yes. Okay. Oh, boy. Yes. Because you hang up your shingle, you put the sign out front and you turn the lights on, there's going to be a thousand different things, if you really think about it, that present themselves to you in terms of your marketing of your practice. So you've got to get really specific and then you're going to have to make some decisions. After we've kind of come up with our goal, we got to make a plan. And we've talked about some of the best practices, number one, being focused. And then number two is making it sort of time bound around this. You know, there's nothing like a deadline to sharpen up your focus and nothing like a deadline to, to really uh, keep you on track. Absolutely. And what we want to do with our marketing plan is we want to make sure it's very measurable. And then as well as a young company, young acupuncturist, as an entrepreneur, you want to be nimble. So we want to be realistic that if we're trying a tactic, I'll talk about that here in a second, it's just not yielding results. Well, then maybe what we need to do is pivot. Okay, so in your example with the Facebook ads, you want to say to yourself in that example, I'm going to do this for two weeks with this budget and try to have some realistic expectation. Okay, I will tell any listener out there, if you've got a $10 a week Facebook campaign and you think you're going to get your 100 patients, it's not going to happen. Okay, but if you back up and say, what I want to do is spend $10 a week on a Facebook ad and I hope to achieve one patient conversion, well, then maybe that is realistic. Okay. And we can talk more specifically about the best practices around Facebook and copy and calls to action and all those types of things. But bigger picture to go back to sort of where we started all this, what we want to do is begin thinking about the tactics that are at your disposal and begin thinking about the ones that make the most sense relative to where you are both geographically and then as well with just sort of a network sort of effect within your community. You know, some of the most popular things that we can do today are the tried and true digital marketing things. It is doing uh, some Facebook ads. You might consider some Google ads as well. But in the instance with the lady in Denver, Colorado, who I met with, we spent a lot of time talking about, all right, who's in your network? And through this conversation, uh, we kind of found out what makes her tick. And the things that she talked about is she loves acupuncture. She hates public speaking. 
but she loves the one-on-one -on -one engagement. She loves the sort of ability to sit down and talk with people. Oh, let me tell you another way that I've never, ever, ever, ever gotten a patient. Never. In 20 years, I've never gotten a patient from public speaking. It has never, for me, it has never worked. Now I get it. There are some of you out there, it might work and it might work really well. And if it does, double down on it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can find, and, and you will have to do a lot of testing to figure out what works and, and kind of what doesn't. And, and, you, and you know what testing means, right? Failure. That's right. Tons of it. Totally. And you got to, as an entrepreneur, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and to recognize that you will fail. Uh, I can tell you the number of things that we've done at our company and then my past that are just colossal failures and, and they were done with the best of intention, Absolutely. you know, but, but you don't know until you try, but you got to kind of have uh, sort of some thick skin here and you've got to be nothing if not ready for the marathon, you know, particularly in your first six, nine, 12 months as a, as a, as a going concern. Yeah. So I want to dig into this just a little bit here, and then, and then we're going to get back to these tactics and things, because I think it's important. This thing about failure, I think, is so important because, I mean, all of us grew up. I remember, right, like in the first grade, I mean, we're different generations, and but I mean, in the first grade, I remember it's like you do something good, you get a gold star, right? You know, and as a first grader, you're like, you, you, you want those gold stars, right? You want, you want them to pile up. You want to feel like you're doing good. You want to feel like you're, like you're competent. You know, I'm good because I don't fail. But the, the truth of the matter is when you're running a business, and, and for that matter, when you're being an acupuncturist, because let's face it, lots of the time we try stuff and it does not work that well for our patients. What do we do in that moment? We take that information about what didn't work we redefine our diagnosis, we clarify it, we get sharper with it, and that leads us to something that will work. And I think it's very similar with business. We're going to do a lot of experiments and we're going to find a lot of things that don't work. The question I've got for you, John, how do you build the resiliency where you can go cheerfully from failure to failure and keep moving ahead? I think it goes back to the things we talked about as far as daily routines, having a support network, um, being realistic, uh, having a little bit of humility. Um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, there's some people out there that are, are sort of wellness uh, experts or, or they've life hacks and whatnot. And I'm of the opinion that the best way to describe it, and we might have to edit this a little bit, but, but ultimately it does take some resilience. It takes focus. It takes stamina. It takes all of those different types of things, but just recognize that any sort of successful entrepreneur that you've seen out there, quote unquote, and I can point you to endless podcasts, uh, or, uh, different conversations that I've had with, you know, don't ever underestimate, uh, the degree of luck playing into things. Um, don't ever think for a second that just because somebody, uh, for, for whatever metric you want to count it on is highly successful, doesn't have just a track record of all sorts of failures, uh, in their past that got them there. You go back to some of the, the tried and true sort of, uh, tactics, uh, or at least the things you hear from entrepreneurs and it is a marathon, you know, and so it's taking care of yourself and then also seeing things the way or seeing problems or issues as they are not making them worse than they are. You know, and that takes uh, a fair amount of just uh, humility, self-awareness, uh, self-care, all of those things. So I don't have one sort of silver bullet, but. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm interested in this, not seeing the problem as worse than it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can <clears throat> give you any number of examples. Let's take the one, the, the public speaking. 
Mm. You know, okay. You went in there with the expectation. I'm being very simplistic that through this public speaking, uh, you'd walk out of there or in time, uh, have this calendar that was totally full and, and that didn't happen, you know, but look at you now, you've got a podcast that's very popular that people are listening to. And so maybe through that experience, you became more comfortable in your own skin as a speaker, you know, ah, uh, no, that, you know, that's a really good point. Cause I'm basically a shy guy. You know, I mean, if you meet me at a party, I'm not in the center of the room blabbing with everybody. I'm over on the edges talking to one person. And let's just be honest as well, that failures do, you know, no one starts anything with the expectation that it's not going to work out and they do suck, you know, but ultimately uh, the sun's still going to rise. Uh, you ultimately got into this for the very right reason, which is trying to make people's lives better. Um, and I think you get enough failures under your belt and they become easier as they go along. I, I, I would say that I would say that's true as well. Absolutely. In fact, there, it's, it, for me, it's a bit of like an equanimity practice that some kind of failure comes along. And instead of going off the rails with it, I can just kind of go, oh, so that's how that works. Start again. Totally. And yeah. I think resiliency and self-care um, are really, really important. And, and one thing that I would also invite everybody to do. Uh, is you got to unplug and you got to recharge, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm jumping here a little bit from where we started the, the discussion, but um, I have a goal right now. And I, I want to mention as well, I, I do actually work with a career coach quite actively. Mm -hmm. um, and when we go back to sort of the, the network and the resources that we have around our support, like that is one of my supporting relationships. And a goal that I'm focused on right now for the second quarter is um, notwithstanding this podcast is just making sure I'm not working on Saturdays you know, is that I'm spending time doing things uh, either with my family or taking care of myself um, that ultimately make, you know, getting back in the saddle Sunday afternoon um, a bit more um, fluid, easier to do, have the right energy level. And I think turning things off is, is something that we just don't do enough of. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I think all the major religions do talk about a day of rest. And uh, I, I, I think there's some real wisdom in that, you know, and even when we think about it from a Chinese philosophical yin and yang perspective, if you want to be really, really active, make sure you've gotten some rest and stillness underneath you, because then you'll have the resources to be incredibly active and, and, and perform. Absolutely. There's a, a wonderful um, anecdote from... Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, which I read years and years ago. And it's about two guys in the woods that are chopping down trees. And you've got the one guy who's just swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging. And there's a tree after tree and he just keeps going. And then you've got the other guy who's sitting next to him that every now and then stops just to sharpen the blade. And the one guy who's just constantly swinging grows tired and grows frustrated and grows ultimately just resentful. Whereas the other guy, after he's sharpened for a while and he's relaxing, he gets up and he chops down many more trees than the other guy who keeps going is able to do. Exactly. Yep. It's, it's a, you know, I, I think it's that self-care piece that we often talk to our patients about, but we ignore for ourselves. All right. Or, or, as, or as an entrepreneur like yourself, it's stuff that you know is going to help take you forward. But I got this one more email. I got this one more marketing thing. I got this one other, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. Yeah. So true. There's always stuff to do, but again, we, we go back to that 2080 and I think some of that involves just the, let's press pause every now and then. Yep. Love it. Let's come back to some of the tactics that you were talking about earlier. Some other, some ways of getting, getting out there or some ways of getting 
other people knowing what we're doing in a way that, that we can engage and bring more people into our practices. Well, let's start with some of the stuff that we've talked about, which I feel as, as I see this constantly time and time again, everyone thinks that we have to have a presence on Facebook or on Instagram or, uh, you know, Google ads or thing, you know, digital marketing. And while that's true, what we have found, and I can write a whole book on it is that only gets you so far. Okay. Um, and you talked about that as well with the experience that you had with Facebook. There's one rule that I want to put out there for everyone to embrace is you've got to have a purpose or a goal with each tactic that you are putting forth to, to, to kind of get people in the door. And so if you're taking out Facebook ads, what are you trying to achieve? And we talked about that a little bit. What do you hope to achieve? And given that all of us to an extent are on Facebook, what are the ads that work for you? And so just putting that out there that says, hey, I'm here, isn't really going to do much outside of drive awareness. I, I'm not even sure it's going to drive awareness these days. There's so much noise out there. There's so much noise and is entirely oversaturated. And so while perhaps the honeymoon is over with a lot of these techniques on Facebook and Google and whatnot, they still serve a purpose because a lot of your patients or potential patients are on there. I'll give you an example. We used to spend a tremendous amount of money on Facebook advertising, and that just did not work for us. But where we spend time now is on boosted content that talks about things around our business. Okay, where we're not actively trying to promote or try to get you to do something, but to take some sort of interest or engagement that could ultimately drive some degree of, of conversion or activity with our business. And so when we think about that from an acupuncturist standpoint, and I, I want to I kind of jump around here a little bit, Michael, that stems from I have a little ADD, but that's why I'm an entrepreneur. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free drop ship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Most entrepreneurs I know do have some ADD. In fact, I had a patient when I lived in Seattle, very severe ADD, ADHD, in fact. Guess what? Guess what this guy did? He ran three multi-million, company, multi-million dollar companies simultaneously. God bless. <laughs> I mean, just, just to let you know, there's an upside if, if you know how to harness it. I, I think that, um, and we see this more on the Instagram side, and it does spill over to Facebook as well, is you want to make sure the people that you're communicating with and that you're targeting have the ability to come see you 
in your practice. And I'll give an example. We see a lot of acupuncturists spending time on Instagram and we're on Instagram and it's an opportunity for us to engage and talk with and to get samples out and whatnot. But if you've got an acupuncture, or pardon me, if you've got an Instagram community that has 3000 followers and you're in Portland, Oregon, and all of your followers are up and down the East coast, I'm willing to bet that those 3000 people are never going to take a, an acupuncture appointment with you. Whereas if you're in Portland, Oregon, and perhaps that's a bad example, let's go to somewhere even, even smaller. Let's go to Bend, Oregon, for example, if you're in Bend, Oregon, and you've got a community on Instagram, that's 200 people, but those 200 people are either your current patients or your potential patients. That's much more impactful to driving bodies in your door than the guy or gal that's got the 3000 people that are 2000 miles away, you know? And so what we try to do and remind people of is be hyper, hyper focused, both in terms of the way you're spending your energy, but in the way you're communicating with people, make sure that the people from a digital marketing standpoint that you're trying to target or outreach to have the ability to ultimately come see you. Because if they can't, then you're potentially wasting energy, time, money, unless it's all about ego, which is fine. But if your objective is to try to get people in the door and using these channels, you got to make sure it's hyper, hyper focused. Yes. And hyper localized. Absolutely. I mean, unless you, unless you somehow have a service that you're selling that's nationwide or worldwide, then, you know, acupuncture is a local business. Absolutely. So, I mean, for myself, I, I, I have found the most useful thing for me is my website. Right. Because people are typing something into Uncle Google. There's something that's made them uncomfortable to the point where they're going to ask Uncle Google, where can I get some help for my migraine headaches with acupuncture? But they're not going to type in, you know, acupuncture for migraines. Mm -hmm. They're going to type in acupuncture for migraines in the name of their town or acupuncture right. for migraines and their zip code. Totally. I don't want to be found. I do not want my clinic found on a national search for acupuncture because I get calls from people in California asking me for free advice. <laughs> That's a real waste of time. Absolutely. And there's ways that you can achieve that that aren't necessarily sexy, but they're just this blocking and tackling that you've got to do. And so I would imagine that Google knows your address. They know your website. Well, no, no, here's the thing. You have to make sure that Google knows your address. Right? Totally. Totally. So you need to make sure that at the bottom of every single web page that you have, AKA the footer, you've got your address and your zip code. Phone absolutely. number maybe, phone number, it doesn't matter, right? But zip code for sure. Uh, absolutely, and we talk about SEO, search engine optimization. Yes. Constantly, and that guys is not as intimidating as it sounds. You don't have to hire a consultant and pay them thousands of dollars to do SEO marketing for your website. You just gotta know how to do it. There are some best practices. And I would say in your case, Michael, and in others, you want to make sure that with every piece of content or page that you're putting out there, you, you just said it, that you have St. Louis, Missouri on there. Or if you're doing a blog piece, make sure that your headline uh, or your first paragraph includes both your geography and acupuncture. And that way, over time, Google will start to pick that up. And then they'll say, hey, we know Michael's an acupuncturist in St. Louis, Missouri. And you don't have to pay for that. Now, you do have to put the energy into the writing and making sure that you're organized uh, as far as all your pages are concerned. But you got to make sure that your content that you're putting out there on your website is done in a way that Google is going to know exactly what you do and where you are. Right. Because that way, every single blog post that you write becomes a landing page. Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. And guys, if you've got questions, uh, there are all sorts of resources, but the, the skinny is make sure you focus on your headline, your first paragraph, and you make sure that within those, you've got the things that I just mentioned. It's got your location and it's got what the topic is either around acupuncture or acupuncture specifically. Do you have any other thoughts on SEO? And because what you're talking about here is content marketing. It is content marketing. And the trick is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Oh man, a marathon again? I hate marathons. Oh, Michael, there's no, there, there is no quick, easy pass in the world of business. I wish there was. I think it's something that you actively have to do. Uh, there are all sorts of resources out there. I would take a look at uh, Pro Blogger. It's a kind of a, a character that's out of New Zealand or Australia that he'll kind of walk you through it. But ultimately what you need to do is just kind of pace yourself, make sure that you're putting relevant content out there. It doesn't have to be 2000 words. It's got to be interesting or no one's going to read it. But ultimately what you've got to do is just be putting stuff out there with regularity. So uh, God forbid, um, Google uh, knows exactly where you are and who you are. And as you sort of talked about um, as well, um, is you got to have your address on there and you got to keep it constantly kind of coming out there because your patients, and I'll, I'll let you jump in there, your patients are going to Google first and foremost to find out where you are. Um, and it's your, you know, it's what you just described. It's, it's the location and it's acupuncture and it's migraines or acupuncture, uh, uh, your, your zip code and bad knees, right? Mm -hmm. When you say regularly post content, how often is that? Is that once a month? Is it once a week? Is it three times a day? I, what, what, what would you call regular? What's a, is there a sweet spot for this kind of thing that, uh, that gets Google clued in and, and doesn't kill us with having to produce content all the time? I think it entirely depends on, again, what your goals are, where you are, and what you're capable of. I think the rule with content is just having a schedule and trying to stick with it. Ooh, uh, like you write it down and you make sure you do it. Absolutely. Uh -huh. And I think it's part of going back to that 2080. Um, it is laborious to sit down and write content. But if you say every Monday morning, uh, or perhaps when you're not as active with patients, you're going to spend one hour writing a piece of content, or maybe it's every other Monday. The key is you've got to be posting regularly and making sure that old articles uh, are occasionally being updated and that Google always know that there's, knows for your practice or your website that there's new stuff coming out. And so I think the most important thing is sticking to a schedule. There are editorial guidelines that you can kind of search through or, or find online that says, you know, here are some things to talk about. But again, with content marketing, if you're using it as a tool for Google to find you, you want to make sure, again, it's, it's relevant to your, your community and it's also relevant to your practice. Okay. So back for a moment, you know, you were talking with this acupuncturist in the Denver area. They love acupuncture. They hate talking to groups. They like talking to individuals. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the other suggestions that you had for her in terms of being able to use what her superpower is, intimate conversation, mm -hmm. to help extend her uh, number of patients? Absolutely. <clears throat> in this particular example, and I would encourage any listener out there that wants to kind of piggyback on this, is understand your immediate networks in your communities, okay? In this particular case, she was big on CrossFit, and she was also big with gymnastics. Okay. Oh man, what a great niche. Okay. So with both of those, we talked about, well, what's the foot in the door at your gymnastics studio that would allow you, and I'm going to be overly simplistic here, Michael, to set up a card table, sit in the corner 
and make sure that anyone coming in the door knows that you're there. Okay. In this particular example, we talk through, well, I'm friends with the lady that owns the gymnastics studio. She has an email newsletter that she publishes every other week. I bet she's looking for content. She's looking for content and she's looking ultimately to continue servicing the other people that are coming through that doors because she's competing with other gymnasts and gymnastics studios around there. And so what we have to do is get over this kind of this, this stigma, this um, sort of friction you might have of asking for a favor, because in this particular example, it's a friend. She wants you to succeed. And ultimately, if you flip it around, she's looking for services that she can put forth to her other members. Absolutely. Well, what you're, what I hear you're talking about here is a kind of synergy. It's not just what's in it for me. What can I do to get more patients? But what can I do like with this woman in the gymnastics studio? How can I help her with bringing Absolutely. more people into her studio? She's Absolutely. got a newsletter. Who likes writing newsletters? I mean, I do, but, <laughs> but, but a lot of people don't. So if you've got someone who's writing your content for you and it's good and it's helpful and it's useful, and guess what? It promotes you as well. I mean, those kind of synergies, I think, can have tremendous power because we're getting to someone else's group. We're getting to someone else's network and and we've done them a favor. Yes, yes, yes. And I want to go back to something that we talked about earlier on in the show or the discussion is what we were trying to do in her case was get to 40 patients by August 1st. Okay, so I'm, I'm piggybacking on what I said earlier, but it was very specific and she's only part time. And so what we were doing is breaking down the buckets and saying, all right, in this particular case, how many between now and August 1st patients do you think you can get from this gymnastics studio? And let's be honest, you know, let's be honest for a second. And I think the number that we came up with was like eight. Okay, and we basically said, all right, for four Saturdays, she's going to show up there. She's going to do something that's natural for her, which is speak one-on-one -on -one very passionately and with enthusiasm and with, with authority about acupuncture. And she's going to just stick with it long enough so she doesn't go in there once and say, hey, no one can talk to me and I'm out of there. She was going to stick with it for, I think, four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, And during that time, she was going to be able to very quickly say, all right, is this working or not? And then ultimately, it's not like I'm looking to get all 40 patients with you know the gymnastics studio, but in this case, like between now and August 1st or the six weeks, she wants to pick up six new people. And I think that's, you know, being very specific and relevant and, and realistic. And going back again, she was going to do that with a couple of others. She was going to do that with her CrossFit community. I think she's also a dancer. And so she was going to try it there. And ultimately, I, I think she'll be successful. You know, it, it might take a little bit of time, but the, the word would get out. It always takes a little bit of time. Totally. And it's one thing for us to get the word out, you know, us to go out and promote ourselves. Of course, the very best way of promotion is when someone else is talking about you. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I, 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 you can't underestimate uh, one of her other tactics, and I would invite everybody to do this, is word of mouth references are still, you know, ultimately the, the jam, as kids say, because you're getting somebody who's seen you for a while basically using their reputation and their network to say, hey, Michael's an incredible acupuncturist. He's changed my life. You should, you should give it a try. You know, and that was in this particular case, one of her tactics as well. She was going to try to pick up five patients through referrals, Yeah, you know, and you can ask for them. You know, this, I would agree that is the jam. Absolutely. It is, and, and it's so often counterintuitive, this word of mouth thing, because as acupuncturists, at least I know when I was beginning, I thought, man, if I can really, really help somebody, they're going to go tell all their friends. Guess what I discovered? If I really, really help someone and now their back pain is gone, guess what? They forgot they ever had back pain. 
I mean, if, if you're a practitioner listening to this, I know you've seen this. Patients come in, how you doing? Eh, about the same, you know, maybe a little better. That means one of two things. It means nothing's changed, I'm being nice, or it means everything's changed and I forgot that I was waking up every single night at three o'clock and not falling asleep again until five. People will totally forget that they had a huge issue. And so we wonder, why are they not telling all their friends they had a miracle cure? They just fell back into their own state of natural wellness and and they often don't even associate it with us. And so I think you're touching on something that's very important that I referenced again. If you're fostering a relationship with this person who's back that you treated successfully, they want to make sure that you're successful. I think on some level that most of the people that you've got in foster relationship, they, they want ultimately to see you be successful. And I think the one thing that we don't do enough of either through humility or embarrassment or this is not my style or comfort zone is you've kind of got to ask for that a little bit. You know, I would agree. You've got to ask for it. And I would disagree that they want to see you be successful. I think most people come into our offices because they've got a problem and they just want it to go away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and some people, you know, if we make a relationship with them or we somehow connect, then yes, they also would like to see us be successful I'm not sure that comes from us having successfully treated them, but it comes from us having successfully made some kind of a human connection with them. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. And I, as I said that, I, I, I kind of winced a little bit too. I think it's the people that you have that relationship and that connection with. And that also includes people in the community that might not necessarily be seeing you actively. It could be a colleague in an office setting um, that uh, their insurance covers acupuncture uh, and say, hey, you know, can you get the word out? Uh, that a, uh, and I've actually acupuncturist in California that uh, treats a lot of uh, flight attendants for uh, for an airline out there and they cover acupuncture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and she, she asks for it, you know, can you let people know that a, your insurance covers acupuncture B I've been pretty helpful with you and C I've got, I've got openings in my schedule, you know? And so, um, asking for a little bit of help every now and then, yeah, it takes, it takes some humility perhaps, but it's also people are busy. They're not going to necessarily think about it, but if you kind of get the ask out there, it, it'll grease the skids a little bit. So you got to make the ask. Absolutely. You got to walk across that room and ask that girl to dance. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Now we can also talk about incentives, you know, um, because I know some of us don't want to think about this, but we are in business, right? And so you might have to say where you see those things, you know, those signs that your dentist office or whatnot, that the greatest gift you can give us is a referral. Well, you could also give a referral bonus, couldn't you? You know, uh, where you say, uh, if you refer somebody to me, I'll uh, take half off your next appointment. Um, things of that nature. So don't ever underestimate the power of incentives. Well, I think that's a super important point. And, and I think it's helpful to dig into what is an incentive to our patient to refer. So I'm thinking I've got a couple of patients that over the years, they have been like, they're like typhoid and Mary for my practice, right? They, they have brought, they brought so many people into my practice. It's ridiculous. And you know what? If I offered them money for that, I think they would do it less. Yeah, F there, fair enough. There are certain people, they just, for whatever reason, appreciate what's going on in my clinic, appreciate the relationship that they have. Their reward is that their friends actually come to see me. 
That's the thing that turns them on. What turns them on is I was helpful to my friend and that's the most important thing. So I'm mm -hmm. curious. So from that point of view, I mean, how do you build relationships like that? Have you got any thoughts about how you build something, a relationship where people just want to do it because it makes them feel good to help other people? Yeah. And I want to, um, as we talk about incentives, you have to be very thoughtful about them and what makes the most sense. If you're brand new and just starting out, they might be more impactful and more necessary for you than if you're somebody with an established base and has been doing it for a while. I think it's important to be thoughtful and be realistic about some of the people that you're seeing and treating, and you'll get that sort of firsthand feedback. We know that there are some people that have naturally built a really big sort of social network, you know? And so I'll give you an example. If you're treating somebody that is a C-level executive at a big corporation, okay, and you've been treating him or her for quite a while, well, just by default, you know that within their sort of network in their world, they know a lot of people. And so while you might want, not want to say to that person, hey, can you, uh, you, you know, uh, hand me over your Rolodex and allow me to call them, what you could say to that person is, hey, did you know that acupuncture in the worst workplace is something that's becoming increasingly popular? And do you think this would be something that'd be relevant for your corporation? And if so, would you mind, you know, digging in and thinking through who I would want to outreach to, you know, within your corporation to let them know that I'm available and that I could, again, going back to sort of creating this benefit for the employees, which is increasingly something, guys, that every major employer is trying to do, you know, that person could kind of help you network into a community that might have thousands of people that are walking through the corporate campus on a daily basis. Does that, does that make sense? That makes total sense because what we're doing here is connecting with people where they live, connecting with the concerns that they have, right? I mean, offering you know, a C-level executive you know, a discount on their services, I mean, <laughs> that would be an embarrassment. But offering them a way of helping them help their employees or helping them help their business, oh man, that, you know, now, now you're on the same page. Absolutely, and guys, just keep in mind that any major corporation out there right now and even smaller ones for that matter, are constantly looking for ways to keep their employees happy, healthy, selfishly. If you think about it, it, it means they're more productive. Um, but by the same token, um, they're really focused on employee retention and happiness. Um, and I, I want to point everyone to, to a survey that I saw that was put out by MindBody um, in late 2018. And MindBody is the, the software scheduling service that yoga studios use and whatnot. The number one alternative medicine modality that was of interest of the 17,000 participants in this survey across the board for the modality that they wanted to try most in 2019 was acupuncture. Wow. Only one age group, women between the ages of 18 and 24, chose acupuncture second after they said massage therapy first. Okay, so the sort of takeaway there, right? is that everyone that's listening is in the right space, right? Everybody wants to try this stuff, but I think it's incumbent upon us a little bit to kind of make it relevant and more accessible, be it in the workplace, um, certainly in the community and through the tactics that we've been talking about, but like the time is now and employers are reading this stuff. They wanna keep their employees happy. And guys, thankfully we have uh, sort of a, a service that can be taken into the workplace very efficiently. Absolutely. I've, I've got a couple of friends that have been working on that. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Um, any closing thoughts on, on any of this that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wind this down for today? I want to kind of summarize some of the, 
the key take takeaways that that any marketer and it doesn't matter if you're an acupuncturist or head of marketing at uber uh or uh running a plumbing company we're, we're all marketers you know and that kind of is inherent with with going into business for yourself as an entrepreneur um, focus is key you know think about your objectives uh, keep things smart, as we talked about, specific, measurable, actionable, relevant, timely, all those types of things. Focus on the things that you say you're going to do and turn off the things that you're not. Don't forget about them, right? Keep them handy, but you ultimately have to make decisions. And I think uh, so much of it comes down, as we've talked about, we've ping-ponged a little bit, Michael, but so much of it is about execution. It's about the doing it's just not going to naturally fall in your lap. So you got to get out there and you got to get active. You got to sit at the gymnastics studio. You got to ask somebody, hey, can I come into your company? You got to start assembling that email list uh, if that's relevant for your tactical toolkit. You got to get the SEO articles out there. You can't just sit on your hands and expect this stuff just because you're on Facebook to, to just kind of start naturally happening. It, it, it doesn't. So you got to be execute, execution oriented. You got to take care of yourself and make sure you got a strong attitude because it is going to be work. And that's why they call it work, right? But at the end of the day, if you're focused, if you're good at what you do, if you're passionate, and again, if you're execution oriented, it'll, it'll, it'll come together. It'll happen. Yeah. Great. John, thank you so much for taking some time on a Saturday morning. I'm going to let you get back to uh, your family life here. Thanks. Really appreciate you sitting down with us today. I've enjoyed it very, very much. And if anyone's got questions, um, always reach out. We're here to help. Uh, we'll make sure that all your contact information is on the show notes page. Please do. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.